Hello everyone, my name is Andy Summers, and welcome to episode 23 of Reviving the Soul. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, She is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning them, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Genesis 12, 10-20. Abram, a man of great faith who was called out by God to be a blessing to the families of the earth, had proven himself to be obedient by moving his family to an unknown land. And when Abram arrived in the land of Canaan, the Lord Jesus appeared to him and promised him that very land. He had begun traveling until God stopped him and told him what belongs to him. What faith to completely remove yourself from everyone and everything that you know to go to a place that you don't know or even understand. And now Abram's faith would be tested. Would he remember the God who called him out of darkness? Abram's faith would be consistently challenged blow after blow from this point on. His first test of faith will be the famine that strikes his new home. The lack of food becomes a lurking threat to both his life and the life of those in his household. Abram chooses to temporarily reside in the land of Egypt, no doubt hearing from the locals, who explained that in times of famine they were guaranteed food from the predictability of the Nile irrigating the Egyptian crops. Now at face value, there's nothing wrong with his decision. This was the logical move. We are hungry. Let's go where there is food. He just did what everyone else was doing. And this is the problem. Not once is it recorded that Abram sought God on the matter. He simply followed his own instincts. Now, of course, his choice to go to Egypt was not intentional sin as much as it was a natural reflex to turn to his own reasoning. He had forgotten God. We can easily see ourselves in this. When trials come, our first response is often to scheme, plot, and go through all the what-ifs in our heads, thinking that we can somehow find the wisdom within ourselves. We then establish our position and defend it at all costs. And then, when we have figured it all out, we ask God to bless our decision. To give some background, we will read in chapter 20 that before Abram left Haran, he and Sarai had a conversation. That because Sarai's beauty was legendary, Abram feared that the local monarchs and officials would have him killed in order to claim her as their own. Therefore, in that conversation, Abram requested that Sarai do this kindness to him, to inform local officials of whatever land that they were in that she was his sister. This, of course, is not an outright lie. After all, we find out in the same chapter that Sarai is indeed Abram's half-sister. Sarai's beauty is a point of contention for modern readers, considering that she was in her 60s when her and Abram sojourned to Egypt. I find Derek Kidner's observations helpful in this matter. He says, We must remember that the patriarchal lifespan was still about double our own. Abram died at age 175, and Sarai at 127. Jacob thought that 130 years were few and evil. 
Sarai's 60s would be the equivalent to our 30s and 40s, and her 90 years at the birth of Isaac would be the equivalent to our 50s. So Abram probably thought that he was doing God a favor. After all, Abram was an integral part of God's plan to bless the families of the earth. And how could that happen if someone killed Abram in order to take Sarai from him? And technically, he wasn't actually lying. However, Abram was intentionally deceiving Pharaoh, and his guilt would become evident, because when he is found guilty, Abram offers no defense for his actions. Again, Abram probably thought to himself that he was actually pretty smart, because as the brother of Sarai, Pharaoh would have to negotiate the terms of marriage with him. This would buy them some time to plan an escape, therefore preserving God's plan, thanks to him. What a wise and brilliant man he was. The only problem with his master plan of deception to preserve God's plans was that God doesn't need any help. God is completely self-reliant and in need of nothing. How this great man of faith had stumbled quite spectacularly, and he had no idea. Now, because of Abram's brilliance, Sarai becomes a member of Pharaoh's harem. But because of how happy Pharaoh was with Sarai, he made Abram a very wealthy man, giving him the luxuries of the ancient world, livestock, and most importantly, camels, a rarity and symbols of prestige. And while Abram was acquiring riches, his beloved wife spent frantic days and sleepless nights in Pharaoh's harem. Now, Abram's great wisdom had landed him in quite the predicament. There was nothing he could do except for maybe try to rescue his wife and die in the process. At this time, Abram must have realized his grave mistake feeling the weight of guilt and sin as his beloved wife suffered. But in God's sovereignty and grace, God afflicted Pharaoh's house with great plagues for Sarai's sake. Pharaoh got the hint and called for Abram. The irony of Pharaoh's rebuke upon Abram is that Pharaoh, the polytheist, comes out as the saint, while Abram, the man of great faith called out and chosen by God, comes out as the great sinner. This must have been humiliating for Abram. After all, he was called, chosen by the God of the universe, singled out to be a great nation and to bless the families of the earth. He had hatched this fantastic plan to preserve God's promise, and now this Egyptian pagan was rebuking him. There is speculation as to whether or not Pharaoh and Sarai had been physically intimate. More than likely, Sarai was able to escape, considering that it usually took months before a new queen would be brought to the monarch. An example of this can be found in Esther chapter 2. Moreover, the statement, here is your wife, strongly suggests that she was returned unharmed. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Abram remained silent. He said not a word in defense. He knew what he had done, and he knew there was no excuse for it. Abram built no altars and did not call upon the name of the Lord as he had done throughout the land of Canaan. But he simply left Egypt, quietly feeling the shame of his guilt. Now we must not forget that despite Abram's failure, he is still a great man of faith, as we will learn. Hebrews 11 celebrates Abram's faith, saying that his faith is what saved him. But he was still not perfect. He was still just a man. Now there was a man who would come through the lineage of Abram, the promised offspring that would bless the families of the earth, the man Jesus Christ. His faith never wavered. He did not look to his own devices, but only to God. Abram was a great man of faith, but Christ is the perfect man of faith. Abram left his home in Ur, but Christ left heaven. Abram is known for both his faith and his failures, but Jesus' life was one of absolute flawlessness. Here is the application. Famines, are from God. Trials produce perseverance, faith, and maturity. And don't let anyone tell you that God will make your life easier, that he wants you to live an easy life full of wealth and health. 
That kind of life does not produce growth. It produces complacency and self-centeredness. God wants you to live a selfless life full of purpose as a disciple of his son, Jesus Christ, who arguably lived a fuller life in three years than most of us do in a lifetime. He was hated, tortured, and crucified by the world so that we could live lives empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim his gospel to the nations in spite of the famines. This does not mean that God does not bless Christians with wealth. He does. Wealth in and of itself is not wrong, but that is not God's plan for every Christian. The beauty of the suffering disciple is that God will grant him joy, just as he did with Paul and Silas while they were in prison. If only we had the attitude of Paul that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And there is nothing in all this world that is compared to the greatness of knowing Jesus. If we are in Christ, we are in the man of faith and therefore empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a life of faith. Jesus is the author of your faith. He is the beginning and the end of faith. So when trials come, and they must, do not trust in your own understanding. Seek the will of the Father and look to Jesus, and He will sustain your faith. Thank you for listening to this episode of Reviving the Soul. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a donation. You can be a monthly subscriber or just do a one-time gift. If you're using iTunes, please leave your five-star rating and review. Doing so will help promote this podcast, giving me the opportunity to share the gospel with countless others. If you would like to contact me or ask any questions, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Psalm19Revive. And remember, apply all of Scripture to all of life.